Hallelujah. There's forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to remain standing with me today as we read our passage of Scripture. It's from Acts chapter 3. Listen to these words. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. Lord God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you today that you are a miracle-working God. We thank you, Lord, that you're one who meets us in our lameness, in our spiritual lameness, Lord God, that you would reach out to us, that you would raise us up. And so we pray today that as we come to your word, Lord God, that we would do it with hearts of expectation, Lord God, that we would look to you, Lord, expecting to receive from you, Lord God, a word today that would encourage us, that would strengthen us, that would allow us to be the people of God that you've called us to be. We give you thanks for your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, speak. Speak through your word, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. Praise God. Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I know as we uh, walk through this season that, you know, we have live streaming available. I know for some of you that's an option at times, and we want to make that available. I heard someone, though, say, you know, it's kind of like watching uh, fire on TV. You ever watch the Yule, Yule log at Christmas, right? You, you can see the fire, but you can't feel the warmth unless you're in the house. And so I want to encourage you, as you're able, to come back and be present with us. Amen? And experience the presence of God with us. I, I believe he's here this morning. I believe he's already spoken uh, through his word. And so I want to encourage you right now, grab your note sheet out, grab your Bible out. We're going to jump right into it. We are journeying together through the book of Acts, and here we are. We made it to the third chapter, all right? Um, we've already seen, though, in just these first two chapters, the Lord do some great and amazing things uh, in the early church, right? Acts chapter 2 tells us of the birth of, church, of the church on the day of Pentecost. 120 followers of Jesus Christ are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they begin to declare the wonders of God in other languages, languages that they hadn't learned before. In other words, there is a, a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. There, there's this great release of power, and Peter stands up and he preaches this powerful sermon. And as he preaches, we, we read this again last week, right? Many in, that hear it are cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin, and so they repent. They place their faith in the work of Jesus Christ. They understand him to be that Messiah that was promised and they're baptized in the name of Jesus. 3,000 are added to the church. 
And so now you have about 3,120, about that amount, right, that are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Uh, these are the essentials of the church. They were the essentials of the church in Acts, but they ought to be the essentials today, right? We talked about it last week. As we do these things as a church, we will continue to grow. And so it tells us there in Acts that signs and wonders are performed through the apostles, and the Lord adds to their number daily, or day by day, those who are being saved. And so we see in today's text, verse 1 tells us that Peter and John, they're going up to the temple at the, ninth, the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Peter and John are an interesting pair, aren't they? We see them a, a lot together in Scripture. Luke 5 says that they were partners in the fishing business, okay, before Jesus called them to follow him. Luke 22, together they were the ones that prepared the Last Supper in the upper room. John 20 tells us this, that they're found running together to the empty tomb, right, on Easter morning. And it's interesting because if you read there in, in John 20, John says, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going to the tomb but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Who's the other disciple? It's John. That's John's way of saying, I beat Peter to the tomb, right? I'm faster than him, right? And so there is this, this interesting relationship between these two, an almost competitive relationship. But in Acts chapter 8, when we get there, you're going to see Peter and John ministering together to the Samaritans. It's amazing because as, as different as they were, God brought them together for a purpose, I mean, Peter was outgoing. He always had something to say. Peter never hesitated to give his opinion. He probably should have hesitated a little bit more, right? But, but he would always open his mouth, and it seemed like every time he opened his mouth, he was just opening his mouth to change feet, right? Like he would always just put his foot in his mouth. He was quite outspoken. But, but John is much more contemplative. He's, he's much more reflective. He's tender. He refers to himself, okay, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. At the Last Supper, we know that he was leaning on Jesus' chest. And some evidence in Scripture seems to indicate that there were times when these two did not get along. Their personalities were so different that they often had friction. But now that Jesus has ascended and he's given the Holy Spirit to the church, all of a sudden these two different men come together in, in a very unique way. And here they are, they're entering the temple together. They're not competing for greatness. They're not focusing on each other's faults, but they're striving to work together for the kingdom of God. It's amazing how people come together when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Show me a church where no one seems to get along, and I'll show you a church that's void of the Spirit of God, right? Because when the Spirit begins to work in us, he, he changes us. He allows us to come together in a unique way. And so here they are. They're headed to the temple at the hour of prayer, which it says here is the ninth hour. Now, what time is that? That is three in the afternoon. And it's the time of the temple sacrifice. If you're following all of the notes, it's 3 p.m. It's 3 p.m., and it's the time of the daily temple sacrifice. Now, the Mishnah, which is the first written record of the oral law, okay, it, it describes what happened after the sacrifice was offered in the temple. Here's what took place. Listen to this. It, it said, when he stopped to pour out the drink offering, the prefect waved the towel, and Ben Araza, who was a priest, crashed the cymbal and the Levites broke forth into singing. A worship song came forth, right? When they reached a break in the singing, they blew upon the trumpets, and the people prostrated themselves. In other words, they took a posture of prayer. 
At every break, there was a blowing of the trumpet, and at every blowing of the trumpet, uh, prostration and prayer. This was the rite of the daily whole offering in the service of the house of our God. Now understand, at, at this point, the apostles and the early church are still taking part in worship in the temple, okay? They're, they're still there for the afternoon sacrifice for their sin. However, for them, something has changed because the sacrifice has taken on a whole new meaning, right? The lamb that is sacrificed, they understand, is no longer an atoning sacrifice for their sins. Now it becomes a reminder, right? Now it looks back to Jesus, who is the lamb of God, and what he has already accomplished. Their prayers are no longer looking forward to the coming of Messiah, but now there are prayers of thanksgiving that he has come, right? Their, their prayers are prayers of thanksgiving for what Jesus has done, what he has accomplished through his death and through his resurrection. Do, do you see how Jewish the early church actually was? You see, Jews and Christians worshipped together for quite some time, right? They were involved there in the temple. And it's amazing because in the church today, we can become so picky about worship styles that we want to fit everything to fit our taste, right? And so people literally go church shopping, right? I'm going to find a church that fits me exactly. i got to say, you're never going to find a church that fits you exactly. It's good to find a place where you feel like God's called me to this place, right? But, but you're never going to find a church that fits you exactly. And, and here are the apostles. Get this. They're still worshiping in the temple. It, it probably wasn't so ideal in some ways, right? But they're still worshiping in the temple. And, and I think that tells us that the reality is that, that the setting is not as important as we make it out to be sometimes. What is important is that we as the people of God are worshiping in spirit and in truth. Verse 2 says this, And a lame man from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And so here in verse 2, we encounter a man. We're not told what his name is, but we're told a number of things about him. We know this, that he is lame from birth. Luke's a doctor. He's got to point this out, right? This guy, he was lame from birth. He was this way from his mother's womb. Ever since he, he was born, he had been crippled. He could not stand on his own two feet. And we're also told this later in chapter 4, verse 22, that this man is 40 years old. So he's been lame from birth, and he's been that way for 40 years. For half of his lifetime, probably even more than that, considering how long they lived back then, this man has not been able to stand on his own two feet. His whole life has depended on what others could do for him. Every day he's carried to the gates of the temple to beg. And the gates of the temple were a good place to beg because there was a lot of traffic through those gates. And it was thought amongst the Jewish people that gifts given to the poor near the temple gained special favor with God. And so he had a good spot. He had some prime begging real estate, right? He had a place that was reserved for him by the beautiful gate. Again, he was completely dependent upon others to survive. But what is so amazing is that he's right there. He's right there at the temple, and yet he's lame, right? The reality is you can go to church every single day and still live the life of a lame man, right? You can come to a place where God is present and still continue to live in a way that is so often below what he would have for you. And here's this man, again, he's not able to stand on his own two feet. Even though he's at the temple, nothing has changed in his life. Church, we live in a day when far too many people are needy and lame. 
They, they, they may not be lame physically, but they can stand up physically, but spiritually they are lame. Understand, physical lameness is not the only kind of lameness, right? There is a spiritual lameness as well. And, and this lameness can come in a lot of ways, but whatever way it comes, the result is the same. Someone has to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And so we find this man in, in this physical condition, but understand this is here in this passage to make a spiritual point. Now, we have no idea how long it's been since Pentecost. It doesn't tell, me, it tell us how many weeks passed. There are some who suggest that it's been quite a while, but I think it was relatively close to Pentecost because, remember, our last passage said that signs and wonders were being done through the apostles, right? And really, the miracle that takes place in this passage it wouldn't have drawn a lot of attention if Jerusalem had already seen miracles like this, right? Verse 3 says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. If you spent any time on the streets of New York, you've probably run into someone who's begging, right? And generally, the posture is this. They hold up a cup and their head is down, right? There's this sense of humility, sometimes embarrassment, that, man, I'm in a difficult place. Would you do something for me? And so here's this man. Again, he could not earn a living on his own because of a disability that he was born with. And so he does what he does because he has no other choice. He needs to beg in, in order to survive. And so here are Peter and John, and, and they're on their way again to observe the sacrifice in the temple. They're getting together with other believers to, to pray, but God's about to interrupt their plans. <laughs> And so it's likely that they've come this way before, if you think about it. They, they've probably seen this same man in this same spot on a different day, but on this day, on this occasion, the Holy Spirit prompts Peter to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through him to heal this man. And so Peter says to the man, he says to this beggar, he says, look at us, look at us. Verse 5 says, and he fixed his attention on them. So get this. Peter says, pay attention, and he looks at Peter, he says, okay, why, right? He's expecting to receive something from them, and, and so the man looks up at Peter and John, expecting to receive something from them, and then Peter says this, hey, I've got no silver, and I've got no gold. Does this man, a bit? come on, man, you got to be kidding me, right? You're going to tell me to pay attention, then you're going to tell me you got nothing, right? But hear me, he's expecting one thing, and then he's told he's not going to get it. And I imagine he's, he's probably getting ready to look somewhere else. Man, if you got nothing, just keep walking. There's more people coming. Get out of my way, right? Don't waste my time. But Peter says, I have no silver and I have no gold. He's speaking to, to a man who sees his only need as being a financial need, right? And so Peter says, you're looking for money and I can't help you there. All my money's tied up in the church. We're doing something, right? I, I have no silver and I have no gold. And the reality is far too many lame men and women think that money is going to solve the problem. Right? If I just had a little bit more money, if I just got a, a better job, hear me, there's nothing wrong with making money and having a legitimate job that's honorable. Okay? In fact, the Bible says if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. Okay? It's, it's honorable to, to work. And, and I think that statement's much different than a lot of what we see in the world today. But the truth is, when you are lame and the doctor cannot fix you and, and life has thrown you a curveball, there are some things that money can't buy. 
Peter says, silver and gold, I ain't got that. But what I do have. Since I don't have what you're looking for, you ask for alms, but I do have something. In fact, what I have, money can't buy. What I do have, I give to you. Listen to me, the reality is far too many Christians are praying for the wrong things today. They're praying for a better job. They're praying for more finances. They're praying, God, would you make me great, make my name known, right? They're praying for the wrong thing. Too many Christians are praying for stuff, hear me, when God wants to change them. They're praying for stuff when God wants to change them. Understand, when you won't let God work on you, but you only want the stuff that God can give, you've got it backwards. (laughs) Because things are okay, right? When God gives them to the right person. I'm sure we've all heard the stories of people who win the lottery, right? And then they just destroy their life. Or the athlete at 21 years of age who's making millions, right? But he doesn't have the maturity to know what to do with it, right? Good stuff to the wrong person. And and all this lame man wanted that day was enough to continue to survive in his lameness. Hear me today. God is not concerned with keeping our spiritual lameness intact. He wants to deal with that lameness so that we don't walk lame anymore, okay? So that we can stand on our feet and be who God calls us to be. Peter says, look at me because I have something, but it's not what you're looking for. But then he says this, what I have, I'm going to give to you. What I do have... I'm going to give to you. And Peter declares boldly, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now we read that and we're so far removed from this culture that we need to understand what the Jews meant when they called upon a name. Even at that time, there were cults uh, that, that would call on the names of their gods when they were requesting something from that God. But Jews also made requests by calling on the name of the Lord. Remember, Peter told them in the sermon on the day of Pentecost, right, that Joel prophesied there's going to come a time when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is just the first time of many when the apostles make a request in the name of Jesus because they know without a doubt that there is power in the name of Jesus. And and so they're really calling on the authority of Jesus to act. Now, the law declared that those who speak in God's name should be heard, but to speak in God's name without the authorization of God, that could mean death. And, And so in this moment, here's the reality. Either Jesus is Lord and he's going to grant Peter's request, or Peter should be stoned for falsely claiming to speak in the name of the Lord, right? So the pressure's on. And so this miracle that takes place becomes an affirmation that Jesus' name is the authority of God. Do you know that today? Jesus' name is the authority of God. In the book of Acts, we're going to see the apostles are baptized in Jesus' name, right? The believers suffer for the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus gives them even authority over demonic forces. And so what we see in this verse is the power and the authority of Jesus over the material world, over the physical world, when that name is applied at the direction of the Holy Spirit. Hear me, when the name of Jesus is applied at the direction of the Holy Spirit, you are speaking with God's authority. You're speaking with God's authority. Let me say that again. When the name of Jesus is applied at the direction of the Holy Spirit, you are speaking with God's authority. Acts chapter 4, verse 7, after 
this man is healed, we're going to see it later, it causes quite a commotion, right? And the Jewish leaders ask, they say this, by what power or what name did you do this? Again, they understand that there's power associated with the name. By what name did you tell this lame man to get up and walk? Because the word name is associated with the word power. I hope in your own life that the name of Jesus is associated with power. Amen? There's power in the name of Jesus. And and so they're saying, man, we want to know what power has a name attached to it that you could tell a lame man to walk and he would actually get up and walk. When Peter says, in the name of Jesus, walk, he's saying, in the power of Jesus, walk, because the name is attached to the power. Now, look at how Peter responds to the leaders there in chapter 4. He says this, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by the way, but whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. When Peter tells the man to walk by the name or according to the power that belongs to the name, the power in the name can only be used by a person who has connection to the name, right? Who has connection to the name. We find out later on that some people try to use the name of Jesus and the the demons say, we don't even know who you are, right? Who are you, right? Listen, you can say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all you want, but if you don't have a connection to the person, you cannot show the power of the name. Are you with me today? If you're not connected to to the source of the power, there is no effect. That's why each of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ are to pursue an intimate relationship with him so that when you call on his name, guess what? You actually share in his power. If you simply try to change things by calling on the name of Jesus, but you don't have a connection to him and you don't have a relationship with him, you cannot expect that there will be power if you're not connected to the power source, right? Peter says this, he says, what I have, I give to you. You cannot, listen to me, you cannot give away what you do not have. You can't give away what what you don't have. But when you're connected to the name Jesus, right, all of a sudden he fills your life with power uh, so that you can, can, can be one who would reach the lame as well, right? When you speak the name of Jesus, there is power in what you say. Now look at verse 7. Verse 7. Back there in Acts chapter 3. It says, and he took him by the right hand and he, what? He raised him up. Notice Peter took him by the hand. Peter pronounces the name of Jesus, but then he does something else. He he reaches out. You see, this needy beggar is confronted on this day with two men who are willing to stop, first of all. In the midst of their routine, they're willing to, to stop. I mean, they were going somewhere, right? It wasn't like they had nothing to do. But they're willing to stop and speak the name of Jesus to this man. And then they grab his hand and they raise him up. Understand today, we have a generation of men and women that need someone to stop and speak the name of Jesus and, and reach out, right, and, and raise them up. The problem that's happening that we see in our world so, so often right now is that the wrong people are reaching out right? The wrong people are invested in their lives rather than we as the people of God. The reasons things are the way they are is because people have been reaching out, but it hasn't been spiritual men and women 
It hasn't been godly men and women that are reaching them. So often it's carnal men and women reaching them, right? And the world is taking them by the hand. And so when we see what's going on, man, we need to say, God, would you interrupt my schedule, right? I may be going to church to pray. I may be going to do a good thing. But Holy Spirit, would you allow me, would you interrupt my schedule, right? Peter didn't just pray. He didn't only speak the name of Jesus. He took this man by the hand. And he said to him, you know what? I know you've been in this place for 40 years, but we're not going to let you stay here. We're not going to let you stay in this lameness for another 40 years. And, and here's the good news in this, is that this man allowed himself to be taken by the hand, right? He, he allowed Peter to actually take his hand and raise him up. He, he, he allowed him to do that. And it says there in the passage, and he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately, underline that word, immediately, immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I love this. When this man receives his healing, he's not moving along gingerly, like, I'm, let me try this out. I'm not sure. How, is, is this, is this going to stick? Is it going to last? I don't know if this is real, right? No, no. He leaps to his feet, first of all, and then he's leaping and praising God. That word leaping is mentioned two times there, right? And, and it takes you, it would have taken, I think, the Jewish people that saw it, right back to Isaiah 35, 6, it says, then the lame man shall leap like a deer. This is one of the saving acts of God that was prophesied to come to pass in the last days. And I believe it's part of the reason that the crowd was so amazed when they saw it take place. But just think for a moment, right? What's happening here physiologically, right? Because Luke, again, makes it clear. This guy, he was lame for birth, from birth. This wasn't an accident. It just happened a few years ago. In other words, this man had never walked a single day in his life. And so in this moment, miraculously, his, his feet and his ankles are made strong. The passage says this happened immediately. But remember, this man had never used his legs before. I mean, all his life, his, his legs had only gotten in the way, right? And so he, he has a crippling problem he, he, that he's born with. And then he has muscles that have been atrophied because he hasn't used them for 40 years. He has a, a physical problem, but he also has a weakness. But at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, immediately. Again, highlight that word, immediately, right? You mean there, there was no 12-step program for him? There was no seven steps to freedom? No, immediately. God does something. Sometimes he does things immediately, right? Immediately, this man's feet and ankles were made strong. His muscles now all of a sudden had strength. And think about it. This man's been waiting for this opportunity for 40 years. He's been waiting for this miracle. For 40 years, God's been getting him ready for this moment. But as soon as he was ready... God brings two men who had access to the power that he needed. Can I just say, if you're here today and you would recognize spiritually, you may be lame. You're like, I don't know how to connect with God. I, this, I, I just feel like I, I, I'm unable to move forward in my spiritual life. I want to say you need to find some Peters and Johns. You need to find some, some spiritual men and women who are praying <laughs> Maybe they're on their way to church in a prayer meeting, right? But who, who will find you where you're at and you can reach out to them and they'll refuse to, to let you stay in your spiritual lameness. 
You need to find those in the church that are going to take you by the hand and help raise you to your feet so that you no longer live in lameness anymore. And in this story, I mean, the witness that, that amazed the crowd was not just this man standing on his feet, but his complete ability to walk and jump along with the prophecy that accompanied the miracle, which talked about the end time, right? In a moment, this beggar received his healing. He was strengthened and supernatural. He had a knowledge of how to walk, right? Think about it. It takes a baby eight months to a year. <laughs> and even at that point, they can barely walk, right? They're falling all over the place, right? But this man instantaneously went from never walking to leaping and jumping and praising God. Now consider how miraculous this was. This miracle happened because Peter and John were sensitive to the Spirit of God, and they were willing to let God interrupt their schedule that day. I want to say, if you want to be used like Peter and John in, in the life of someone who is in need, you need to let God interrupt your schedule. I remember one time when my wife and I, we were ministering with Youth of the Mission. We were working with Mike and Terrell Esposito, who many of you know. And we would get together regularly to pray. And I remember in, in this one prayer meeting, we just felt like we were led to pray, God, interrupt our schedule. Interrupt our schedule, right? On the way home, driving that day, a car came right off the highway, right in front of us, into the barrier. And all of a sudden, our schedule was interrupted, right? But I want to challenge you to pray that prayer. God, I've got my schedule, I've got my routine this week, but in the midst of that, would you bring someone my way that I can speak to, that I can encourage, that I can, can raise up, if you will. Look at verse 9. And all the people saw him. Here's this man. It says, all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him. They said, isn't that the same man? who used to sit at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Now, depending on where you lived in Jerusalem, that would determine which gate you would walk through to enter the temple. And so those who came through the beautiful gate were probably the same people that saw this same guy day after day after day. They knew who this man was. They were familiar with his need. Maybe they had given to him in the past, right? And now they see him leaping and they are in complete shock. Can I just say this? When we talk about healing, healing can be amazing, an amazing witnessing opportunity. Right? When, when God does something miraculous in your life and, and you begin to, to leap and, and sing and praise God, it's an amazing witnessing opportunity. You see, God had mercy on this beggar, but this was also an opportunity to proclaim Jesus as Messiah and Savior. And, and Peter's about to preach again. Right? He, he's getting ready. He's about to preach another sermon that results in the salvation of about 5,000 men. The church is going to continue to grow because of the miraculous and because of the testimony that comes from the life of of one lame man who sat there lame for 40 years. Listen, when we talk about miracles and, and the miraculous, understand the main purpose of these miracles is to help people see their way out of false belief systems so they can come to a revelation of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Some people look around in the U.S. and say, man, why don't, why don't we see more, more miracles here in the United States? I think part of the reason is that so often we discredit the miraculous. Like, I think miraculous things happen and we just say, well... You know, that, that wasn't really the reason, right? But we've also been blessed with some amazing medical care, right? That's not available in, in much of the world. And so, so often we come to God and we're not as needy and we're not as desperate, right? 
Like, I got a doctor's appointment tomorrow. I got surgery happen. But just in case, could you pray for me? You know what I mean, right? Rather than going to God first and saying, God, would you touch me, right? We're, we're just not as desperate sometimes. And yet at the same time, each and every one of us in this room, I'm sure we've witnessed God doing what man can't do. Like, we've seen it, right? We've seen him answer prayers too many times in miraculous ways, but it's always according to his will. Understand when we talk about miracles, they're according to God's will and plan. And there are times when you may be praying for a miracle and God may choose not to answer a prayer for healing for reasons that we don't understand, right? I mean, he may be using what's going on in that person's life. He may be using the struggles to, to draw that person to himself, to teach them to depend upon him. When you understand also that, man, each of us, our days are numbered by God. He determines, right, when we step into eternity. The Apostle Paul prayed many times to have the thorn in his flesh removed, but it, it wasn't because God was using it, right, to keep him humble, to keep him dependent on him. When we talk about the miraculous, we also understand this, that God has his purposes, and many of those we will only understand on the other side of eternity. But this account here in Acts chapter 3 has something to tell us which more than just healing miracles. Understand this today, that all of us are born sinful, just as this man was born great. All of us are, are, are born in a condition where we can't do anything to save ourselves. And, and because of that reality, we are unable to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Understand today, the nature that we inherited from Adam has caused each and every one of us to be born as spiritual cripples. But when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are instantly healed. <laughs> we are instantly healed of the spiritual paralysis. And we're enabled now to walk with God by the Spirit of God. There's healing that's available in the name of Jesus. Scripture says that by his stripes we're healed. Understand today the greatest healing that you need is a spiritual healing. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we see in the book of Acts as people begin to understand who Jesus is. They repent of their sins and they turn to him. God does something supernatural in our lives. When we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are healed of spiritual paralysis. We are enabled now to walk with God by the Spirit of God, right? And I've seen in the life of some believers, man, a change that's so radical, that's so dramatic that they just begin to leap, right? You ever seen that? It's just like, man, wow. You just begin to leap spiritually. Of course, there's an ongoing process in our lives that, that's teaching our spiritual muscles how to work and sync, how to respond to the Spirit of God. But understand, as members of the body of Christ, we now have freedom. We have freedom, amen? We have the freedom not to respond to sin. And so we train ourselves now by the renewing of our mind. And when this miracle takes place, we become a witness to the world and our lives will amaze others. It's going to attract attention to others to hear the gospel. Galatians 5.25, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Again, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Meaning, he's saying there, walk, walk spiritually. And, and, so, and so the question really is today, can you walk? Can you walk? Can you walk not physically, but can you walk spiritually? Are you keeping in step with the Spirit of God? 
Or are you begging the world to meet some need for satisfaction and contentment that it can never meet? Are you spiritually walking and leaping and praising God? Stand with me today. Stand with me this morning as we prepare to close. Here's the reality, church. It's possible to be at the gates of the temple. It's possible to be in the house of God and still be living spiritually lame. So if that's you today, I want to encourage you again, look for those Peters and Johns. Look for those people in this place that would would take you by the hand. Maybe today you say, well, I feel like I'm good, Pastor. I feel like God's really working in my life and he's he's growing me and I I just see him doing all these things. Today, if you're a a Peter or, or a John, I want to ask, can you hold out the spiritual healing to those who are spiritually lame? There's a generation, a generation that needs Peters and Johns to come along to declare the name of Jesus and to reach out a hand. As God calls us to minister to others, we can take them by the hand and we can say, just like Peter did, rise up and walk. Walk to newness of life. You don't have to live spiritually lame anymore. It's, it's a new day. God can do something miraculous in your life. And I, and I believe that even this week, by the sovereignty of God, God's going to put you on the path of some spiritual beggars. Maybe they're looking for silver and gold. Maybe they're looking for an answer, and you could say what you're looking for, I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. I want to encourage you this week to be ready to hear the Spirit of God speaking and then to take some people by the hand and command them in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk to newness of life. If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, then you're connected to the power. There's power in the name of Jesus. My prayer this morning is that if anyone is in a place where you need healing, spiritual healing, that in the name of Jesus, that you would respond to that name today. There's salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. May he bring healing into your life. If you need prayer before you go today, as we worship, these altars are open. We would love to pray over you, pray for you. If you need just a touch upon your life, again, not just talking about a physical healing here. Some of you stand in need of a spiritual healing. Stand in need of a spiritual healing today. And so you can come, you can come, you can come and and ask the Peters and Johns in the room to come and just lay a hand on you and pray for you. We're believing that as you encounter the presence of God today that he desires to change your life. And so as the worship team leads us, these altars are open. Feel free to find a place. Feel free to find a place. We would love to pray with you before you.